The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of government contracting. Amtower Off Center with your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm going to tell a little story before I uh, introduce my guest. I'm doing some research for a client getting ready to do a presentation on LinkedIn uh, for a a significant reseller in the market. And uh, one of their clients was DOI, particularly Fish and Wildlife. So I pull up Fish and Wildlife on LinkedIn. I'm scrolling through the employees there, and I run across the National Social Media Manager, Danielle Brigida. And, uh, you know, I thought, wow, this is cool. I got got to connect because social media person in government, uh, they aren't rare, but they're kind of hard for me to find. So I was thrilled. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So uh, tell people a little bit about how you got started in social media, because you're closer to being a digital native than I am. Actually, you're, you're kind of on the cusp of digital nativity or whatever. I know. I'm on the I'm on the older scale of digital native. So about, I guess it was 12 years ago or so, I started my career at National Wildlife Federation. So I'm a huge wildlife nerd. But actually, before that, I had been using... That's an acceptable nerdness, by the I way. I know. I know. I love it. Um, but before that, I'd, I had been using social media to organize while I was in college to try and get recycling on campus. So I was using uh, MySpace and a little bit of Facebook to just keep the club together that I had. I had like a a small club. Uh, After that, you know, I joined National... Did you get any administration response to the club? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was the cool thing was that we actually had one of the top administrators as like our advisor. Oh, cool. And so I was using MySpace just to like update people on club meetings and, and things like that. And also... Uh, I was using the internet to do research on all these different um, companies that could potentially help us with recycling. And so I got pretty familiar doing research and also organizing using social media. And so when I started at National Wildlife Federation as a grassroots assistant, you know, I was doing data entry, I was building out emails, and I noticed we didn't have a social media presence or much of one. There was a MySpace page, I think. Um, that had about 25 people. But I, I realized that National Wildlife Federation was kind of like a large club in my head. And so I just created pages. And actually, back then, there weren't pages. I created a group and um, a profile for Ranger Rick, actually. Oh, cool. Which later the got... magazine. Yeah, which, yeah. which later got banned. But um, oh. so I was, I was really kind of testing things out. And I saw technology <clears throat> as like a free way to reach out to people. And, and also, I wanted to be... When I, when I was at National Wildlife Federation, I wanted people to feel connected to this large, almost scary organization. So I wanted to put myself out there as a familiar connection for people. And then from there, you know, I, I spent about eight years kind of creating their presence, felt even more for wildlife and the work, uh, and, and became very aware of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and what I thought they were very um, impressive and just they were they were very close to the work in a way that I was always kind of envious of over at National Wildlife Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were the ones releasing the condors and kind of um, doing a lot of the scientific research. And so 
there was always that interest. I was always kind of keeping tabs on them. And, you know, I saw them as part of the wildlife family. And so when I was able to join a few years ago, it was pretty amazing. Cool. So um, three years now, did you join as the national social media manager? Or did you migrate up? I, I joined as the national social media manager. And, you know, I've held this job. The first few months were really just listening to everything. You know, we have over 300 Facebook accounts um, across the agency because we manage a lot oh, of land. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So and you have so, one for yeah. Patuxent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah yep. All over. Yeah. Yeah. So for those who don't know, we manage the National Wildlife Refuge System and uh, a lot of, uh, I think it's about over 70 national fish hatcheries too. So, you know, we have these physical places you can visit, much like parks. Um uh, and then you, then we also have programs, and and so that's a lot of what I do now. Is I was really listening to kind of the profiles that we currently had, how we were interacting with the public, where there was opportunity to really um, communicate more effectively and efficiently. And you know, I have I have a team of people that I feel pretty lucky to work with. Um, but a lot of my job, and initially was just to understand, or I felt like was to understand just the. I guess the huge breadth of work that we do mm-hmm. and how do we how do we use social media to to connect with people in an effective way. Cool. So, uh before we went on air you were talking about the uh, uh Fish and Wildlife homepage on LinkedIn, the basically mm-hmm. the company profile. Yeah, yeah. So, you you've uh seemed to have facilitated the growth of that fairly I d- well. I don't want to take credit for that because <laughs> but okay. but one of the things that's neat is that Initially, when we started that LinkedIn page, I was thinking, oh, we'll post about jobs. Um, and, and we haven't quite figured out like a, the way that jobs are organized and, and kind of released. We haven't figured out a way to do that yet, but we post wildlife information and it's grown our, our profile. You know, we have over, I think we have over 35,000 people now just on our company profile page. And they seem to really- Followers. Or followers, yeah. 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 And yeah. they seem to really engage with our wildlife content. So- it's kind of fun, but I definitely want to start investing more resources in it because I've seen, I think last time I checked, we had like month to month, like 40% growth, which just is kind of crazy, like compared to our other channels. I mean, we're seeing growth there that we aren't seeing on other places. So Okay. So uh, aside from work, I'm assuming you use social media to some extent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So... I've been uh, hesitant to be much. And I, I joined Facebook to follow my son who doesn't use Facebook anymore. Ugh. But what I found out was, you know, all of the people I went to high school are there and that's where they organize mm-hmm. the reunions. Uh, the town that I grew up in, Kensington, Maryland, you know, you can tell you're from Kensington if is a group on Facebook. So I started, you know, not only following that, but posting a couple of questions that have generated you know, memories for a few people. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I've, th- I've thought about this a lot and I wonder the future of reunions because with Facebook and a lot of these things that allow you to stay connected to the people you want to stay connected to, even loosely, it's kind of like less of a shocker to go back in 10 years because you've seen their posts on some of these platforms. So I- I'm curious, I'm sure there are papers on it or maybe there will be on like 
you know, what's happening with the, <laughs> the future of reunions because you can kind of stalk the people I you want Google to. I would Google that. Yeah, no, you I mean, it's, there, it's... There's got to be discussions yeah, out there somewhere. I feel, so. I feel like that's kind of... I mean, so I remember yeah. when Facebook really was like you were connected to your friends and that was it. And when I initially entered and started doing social media professionally, I kind of decided that I was just going to make my Facebook profile like a touch point for people to get to know where I was working. Um, and that's a little different now that I'm in government, but it hasn't really changed. Yeah, so. you, you mentioned MySpace a couple of times, which may have been the Dates first, <laughs> the uh, certainly among the first social Friendster. networks. Um, I joined MySpace for about five minutes <laughs> because I, I looked around and it seemed like everybody there was like a 10 to 15 year old girl. And I had no desire to want to be the predator. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's funny because going back to that, it's just thinking about it, it, it kind of cracks me up. But pretty quickly, MySpace kind of phased out and we got into Facebook and Twitter and now it's, you know. I, I, I blame MySpace's demise on AOL. I think AOL's the one that bought it. Ah. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, the, the focus was different. You know, Facebook's focus originally was, you know, the Harvard right. yearbook kind of thing. Mm. And it rapidly evolved. LinkedIn is actually a year older than Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, so older, you know, even more older than, than Facebook because Facebook didn't break out of Harvard for another year or so. So it was probably uh, 05 or so before yeah. they expanded. So anyway, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. We shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm here with Danielle Brigida. I would suggest if you want to know more about her, uh, I'm not going to give out her uh, email address, but look her up on LinkedIn, last name B-R-I-G-I-D-A, first name Danielle, uh, and she may even connect with you. She connected with me, (laughs) so so here we are. So um, DOI and FWS are are very active. I mean, you know, NASA probably has the biggest Twitter following on government. government. So, uh but you know, they they're sending out all of these space shots. You guys could have the number 2 cuz outside of National Geographic, I don't know anybody who would have better nature pictures than, than you guys. And you might beat them too. Yeah. Well, thank you. No. Um yeah, NASA definitely. I mean, the neat thing is when I joined government, I realized there was this community of, of people. Um, but, you know, it can always get tighter. And so because U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is actually a bureau within the Department of the Interior, I work a lot with the people within Interior. Um, Rebecca Matolka is in charge of social media over there. And so she and I will will brainstorm and, and come up with ways And then, so because I lead social media at U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, I work with some very talented people who are the social media leads within each region. And so each region, we have eight regions right now, and each region has, you know, maybe 40, 50 accounts in there. And the social media lead within each region kind of is steered with kind of helping guide them. Um, And then we as a team come together. So there are about 18 people who have either collateral duties or appointed social media leads within Fish and Wildlife Service. And so it's neat how it works because I get a chance to work within the field 
level, the regional level, and then DOI as well. You get to visit. <laughs> I wish. Um, digitally, <laughs> no. Uh, it feels like I'm visiting because, you know, the digital connection. I mean, that's the cool thing is that what I like about social media is it does lead to these in-person meetings. You know, if you hadn't connected with me on LinkedIn, I wouldn't be here right now. And right. and I think that there's still value there. And I think where we've got to remember that, that it has to go to the next level for it to, you know. Yeah, but, you know, sure. this makes connecting the dots so much easier. Totally, totally. And finding people, you know, I think... I call it benevolent stalking, but it's <laughs> it's basically like identify finding people and and identifying what what people are looking for and how to help them. So. Cool. You said there's like 170 points of contact via <laughs> Facebook for So so right now um, I think our number is at 312 Facebook pages. Ow. But keeping in mind that we have actually 566 National Wildlife Refuges. So <laughs> we we manage a yeah a lot of the national are these all land, open public. for visitors too most of them yeah, yeah I would say most of them and some of them are on remote islands or they're um but most of them are open and actually there there's a, a stat out the there Chesapeake, I think. Yeah, yeah there's a stat out there that they're within 45 minutes of any city any major city like there's a national wildlife refuge and so because of that we have a lot of presences it seems and. You know, I think right now um, we're actually looking at our Facebook presences and saying, do we need to keep all these? Like, are they being ma- are they being maintained in a way that's effective? Well, for the that, that was going to be like my that. question. Yeah. How do you manage that many? How do you train people to manage right. that? And that's because you, know, you have a lot of digital content, you know, picture, photo mm-hmm. content that that could attract a lot of people. But, you know, how do you teach people how to manage all yeah. of that and attract the local audiences. Well, and that's where the regional leads come into play and also just getting together, creating resources whenever possible. That's a lot of what I'm trying to do, you know, for the team is figure out, okay, what do you need to be the most successful at your job? And so with Facebook, we had this this strategy of kind of a sprawl because organic growth was happening a lot, like back in 2010, 11 um, and 12, and even up until a few years ago. But so we had this sprawling kind of every place should be able to have a location if they need to. With Instagram, we kind of took this other approach where the team takes a day and posts. So we really only have one like very powerful account. And then we have like, um, and, and then we encourage people to submit to that one. We have since I started kind of let, let a few major refuges have Instagram pages, but you're right. We have so much content. We have so many people pouring it into, you know, different online spaces how do we organize that? How do we continue to like stay relevant and and engage with people in a way that's meaningful to them? And that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're constantly trying to figure out as a team is, you know, what do people need? What can we give them? And and how can we still, you know, accomplish our mission doing these things? So it's a challenge that I'm constantly working in my head and especially with the changes of these tools. It's it's just an ongoing thing. Yeah, the evolution of the tools is a scary thing, but you know, as as I mentioned before the show, my wife started her federal career at Fish and Wildlife over at the Patuxent Research Center and and her job was to rehab like birds with broken wings, so it would be eagles and stuff like that. That's amazing. And and you just you you wonder about the potential for all of the photo content on an hourly basis. That could come through there. Yeah. And so what's neat is that we actually do have 
another one of the accounts we use, which maybe isn't as, um, I guess, covered in the news as Instagram or some of these other upcoming sites um, is Flickr. We post a lot of our content on Flickr. And um, if, if anyone is interested in searching for our Flickr accounts, uh, each region has one. And then there's an HQ one. But the neat thing about this is this is where we encourage our staff or volunteers to upload photos um, in their region. And so you anyone can use it. Um, most of them are public domain. And so cool. it's kind of a neat place to gather and collect information. But I actually think that that's a huge aspect of social media that's going to continue to come into play, which is how do we manage these assets, these digital assets that we have? Like, Because we're all taking photos. I mean, it's not just you know, people who work with wildlife, it's all of us. And how do we manage that? You know, we used to print out photo books, put them yeah, on the shelf. Right. We don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to do that anymore. But now it's a, a neat issue. But it's one where I'm like, yeah, if each Facebook page that we have posts one or two things of content a week, even that's a ton. So what about YouTube? Are you guys, what kind of things do you do there? So we, we definitely have a service YouTube account um, and, and one for the whole um, organization that's official. And yeah, we post a lot of the interviews, sometimes talking head stuff, but we do have wildlife content on there as well. And, um, I've actually found myself like right now we're really trying to be as 508 compliant, obviously as we can. And so we're doing more with audio descriptions. And so the thing, that's the other aspect of, especially in government, but it should be for anyone. When you create this content, you also need to make it compliant so that it's accessible to as many people as possible. And right. so the the trouble with creating all these videos is that you're going to need to audio describe them and make sure that they're up to 508 compliance standards. Um, so that's one of the tricks is that we end up using a lot of still images or a lot of wildlife photography for that as well, at least on social, because it's getting a little bit easier in platform to describe these things, but it's still not to where it needs to be. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, amazed at, at the number of things that your boss has to, or the, <laughs> the not your boss, but the woman at, at uh, HQ at Interior has to, you know, keep in her mind as to what's going on out here. And, um, and that's know. and that's the cool thing is that um, we're a team, so we're all kind of looking out, and we'll we'll kind of um, right now we're actually looking for um, just solutions that will help not just one b- bureau, um, but all of us. And so, whereas before I think we were pretty focused on you know oh we've got to take care of Fish and Wildlife Service. The good thing about being tapped into what's happening at Interior is I can also look to that as well and, and help her and she can help, you know, it's a mutually beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But there is so much to keep up on. I mean, everything changes, which is cool. (laughs) But it, it, it changes so fast and you never really, you know, I had a a friend of mine uh, who was heavily involved in the B2B catalog world, lots of transactional business there. Right. She told me that this one platform was going to be the monetary exchange. And she said, you know, PayPal's just a joke. <laughs> and this was an extremely bright woman. I know. Whenever I try and tell the future or like <laughs> try and guess, it's just I mean, I remember joining Instagram in 2010 and being like, it's just Twitter, but with images and, you know, kind of being skeptical. And now I'm just blown away. So I well, think. 
it's hard to it's hard to guess. <laughs> yeah, it is. So we're going to talk about joining LinkedIn when we return. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. Mm-hmm. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Danielle Brigida. I can't tell you this this is a lot of fun for me because if if you know me, if you read my stuff or listen to the show, I I am a LinkedIn geek. And uh, I've been on since 04, you probably not long after me. Uh, when I joined, I mean, there was n- not even a quarter million members. Mm. So I'm sitting there, and I sat there for three years wondering when something was going to happen. And it didn't occur to me during that time that I should probably make something happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, like with LinkedIn, and we were talking about this before, but I just see – it's one of the more powerful tools and it can and I think it's because it can be very task oriented too. You know, you can log on and say, I need to find a job or I need to find a contact at X or, you know, I, I think it can be very helpful for that. And also I think it is an opportunity to have your Rolodex updated without you um, needing it. So, you know, we all need other people to do our jobs well. Right. Even if it's just like an expert that you look up to or a mentor or um, but we all need that community sense. So LinkedIn is a cool place for that. Yeah. So one of the first things I figured out when I figured out that I had to do stuff, I needed to know why I was there. So I set some goals and, you know, what I wanted to do. So I wanted to be one of the most connected people in the government market. I wanted to be one of the most visible people in the government market. And I wanted to be one of the most credible people in the government market. And the credible portion is is the most difficult because – like on any social media platform, you run across idiots every day and you really just want to smack them around verbally. And you have to resist that. I mean, it's it's not a platform where I don't think any social media platform is is a place to uh, uh, take cheap shots. Yeah. Um, but, you know, after I figured that out, I'm just shy of 10,000 connections 95% of which are in the government market. I have friends, uh, you know, other writers, uh, social media gurus. Uh, uh. So, yeah, I mean, I have these these little communities. And, you know, I'm not going to hook up with them on Facebook because I just don't use it that much. So how, how, how did you get involved in that and what did you initially use it for? Because you've only been at FWS for three years now. Yeah, so I, I think one of the things – that I was doing early on during when social networking and social media were first kind of when they were calling it web 2.0. Um, no, when, when all this was happening was I, I joined a lot of different networks. Right. And I, I tried to get a sense of whenever I join a network, I first do a lot of listening. I just pay attention to, you know, who's leading the conversation or who are the leaders within the conversation? How are they using the platform? Where is their opportunity for me to be meaningfully unique in the platform? Um, and LinkedIn was one of the ones that I joined around the same time as Twitter and Facebook. And I think I saw a real added value there uh, right away because you could, you know, it wasn't terribly hard to maintain. There wasn't this expectation at that time that you had to like post every day or, you know, it was really about putting what your qualifications were and and also connecting with with people around their work. And so there was this understanding that it was a business connection. Um, and so when I first joined it was really about that. It was I wanted to make 
I think at the time I was trying to be as um, approachable as possible on behalf of National Wildlife Federation. Mm -hmm. And now I feel that's the same way with U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. You know, you if you know me, you know that you can reach out with an idea or a criticism or anything. And I will, you know, I'll at least listen to it. I may not have any um, ability to help, but I'm there and I'm listening. So LinkedIn was definitely a place where I saw a ton of potential. It also just allowed you you know, I was doing a lot of speaking on social media. I was doing a lot of um, really neat projects, and it allows you to document those things. You know, people always say update your resume constantly, and I'm not I'm not one who does that very well. You know, I, um, I I tend to just get very focused on the work. But the nice thing about LinkedIn is when you're working on a project with somebody, there is that social component, and you can connect with people and stay and keep that updated on your profile. So there's that that added value and. I've just I've I've really been a fan of the platform. I've seen it work for people. You know, if you if you keep it updated, you you will connect with others that have either a shared interest or a shared goal. And that's kind of what got me on social media in general is trying to get recycling on campus. And now, you know, I'm trying to basically hack the web so wildlife is noticed. <laughs> same same field, different. Yeah, area. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah save their so. <laughs> What a terrible thing. I know. Um, I'm just trying to put some wildlife in your feeds. <laughs> no. There you go. <laughs> Works for me. Yeah. Um, so what about the group aspect? I mean, you know, you've been on LinkedIn long enough to know that the groups were actually pretty robust in the early, uh, you know, 2010, 11, 12, especially in, in mid-2014, LinkedIn really messed up the group function as far as letting uh, managers control what was going on in their groups, the communications groups. For a while there, the group notices weren't even going out. So you didn't know what was happening in groups. And then they buried it in that uh, thing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Do you have feelings about this? Yeah. (laughs) No, No, I mean, I I think so with groups, it's interesting. And I thought it was kind of brilliant because you would join groups and that would actually increase your network network you know, your ability to search and broad, it would broaden your network. And yeah. that was a huge part of, I thought what was neat about LinkedIn was that, you know, you couldn't connect with somebody who you weren't already a little bit connected with until, and so groups provided this chance for you to really broaden your network. Um, and yeah, with the group admin um, privileges, like I, I feel like I find myself using them less now, you know, because of the changes, but a lot of how I was using them at the time to like organize was through alumni groups because a lot of times like like your wife, you know, she used to work for Fish and Wildlife Service. Like we would love to have her still engaged. Like she could still go volunteer at Patuxent if she wanted to. And like that's the kind of thing where figuring out how do we keep people engaged, especially around work they've done, because I think that that's actually one of the sweet spots for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is if you've volunteered with us or if you've done, you know, an internship or if you've worked for us, you may have more of an affinity th- to the work and, and understand the complexity in a way that other people wouldn't. So figuring out how do we keep those engaged? And that's kind of where I saw the sweet spot, um, at least. But there are tons of other ways. I mean, connecting with photographers, connecting with people. Also, like anyone who volunteers should put that they volunteer with Fish and Wildlife on their profile. You know, like figuring out how to connect with people. Um and the groups, they've definitely changed, and so I find myself not gravitating. I don't know if that's the same with you, but... It, I manage a number of groups. Yeah. So I've busted my butt to keep them active, <laughs> yeah. informative, 
and clean of spam. Yeah. And LinkedIn swears it's in the uh, the renaissance of bringing back the group. That's so, great. <laughs> well, it is if they're not lying. lying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would believe it because I feel like niche networks right now are where you're seeing power. Like, look at Facebook, look at, I mean, I can say there's so much engagement on like a Facebook birding group that I'm a part of. And then I look to some of our smaller pages or some, even sometimes our page and I'm like, oh, there's not as much like robust engagement, but the groups. It, and it's interesting to me because that's where a lot of the power in social media was when it first started. Like we had a, a group um, and part of, I remember when pages started and a lot of us in the nonprofit community were kind of like, you know, you can't have us just be groups because you can also join a group that's like, I really love bacon. <laughs> and it's the same as joining like the National Wildlife Federation. And those two aren't the same necessarily. I'd see the bacon group more <laughs> it's, on Facebook. It's, it's, or, yeah. yeah. But or, I mean, those or kinds of things. Instagram pictures yeah. of fake bacon. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that kind of stuff. I mean, it's neat to see the like the iterate, like the different changes in social so. Yeah, but you know, as far as I'm concerned, the 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 groups were once I figured out that they were there and that they were cool uh, or could be cool, depending on the manager. They, like you said, they they were really communities, like-minded people mm -hmm. around any business topic imaginable, and there's tons of alumni groups there too. So you get a, a university with an active alumni network. You look at it, and there's like a half million members. Mm -hmm. You know. And the the group managers for those are actively pushing out information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I mean, they 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 still can be valuable, and I'm I'm hoping that LinkedIn is not misleading us once again about the rejuvenation of groups. Um, I feel like they're going to have to start paying attention to groups in a real way. Like, uh, and I think LinkedIn is definitely one of the one of the ones that will do it. Yeah. You know. It's interesting because I spoke at um, my previous university not too long ago and I was talking to a group of English majors and one of the people in the crowd asked a very like probably a question I would have asked and she was just like, you know, where do we go? Where do people go when they're looking for an English major? And it dawned on me that like everywhere. I mean, yes, <laughs> everywhere, but also nobody's typing in LinkedIn English major. Right. You know, you're looking for a writer. <laughs> And so it's it's kind of interesting how, um, you know, describing yourself on LinkedIn is challenging. And I, I don't know that every it's natural to everybody. But once you can kind of step away and say, OK, what can I offer? You know, that's that's what you put on your profile. And yeah, I mean, even if you studied, you know, Shakespearean literature, absolutely. Chaucer or in my yeah. case, you know, post-Civil War American naturalism, Ooh. which my degrees are in, um, if you have the ability to write you are extremely employable. Communications is what's lacking in a large part of the business world. Clear communications, understanding. You know, I teach graduate school at George Washington University, and um, I'm starting my third summer class uh, next the, – the day this airs, my class is that evening. Oh, cool. So next Monday. Uh, but because I got so frustrated – and this is graduate school, right? Yeah. <clears throat> I got so frustrated with the writing level, I'm bringing in Carla Bass, hmm. uh, former Air Force colonel, to do a mini workshop on precise writing for my class. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's it's you, you got to be there. Yeah. Uh, um, so and and, you know, if you can write, you, you can you can work. Yeah. Um, you well, may not you may not get a job teaching, but you, you may. <laughs> 
But and and don't you think it's interesting that you know as we get into certain I mean I feel like on social media you have to be succinct and clear in lots of ways because people you know you only have a certain amount of time to grab people's attention and a and certain number of characters exactly so it's figuring out how do you I always I joked a long time ago that brevity is the soul of twit <laughs> and I would like make these little puns about all these different sites but I think with LinkedIn it's it's growing and there is this emphasis on content and you know sharing in ways that it didn't used to be but it's actually really neat to see and so i find myself reading linkedin like it it, it catches me in in ways that the other platforms don't no. always yeah. yeah we're going to continue this discussion after a break you're listening to amtower off center on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m we shall return Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Danielle Brigida. Look her up on LinkedIn. I'm not going to give out her email address. Uh, she works at Fish and Wildlife, last name B-R-I-G-I-D-A. Um, so we, we were talking about communications. Uh, and, and frankly, that's, that's what, uh, you know, the thing that got me focused on LinkedIn in 07, I'd been on th- for three years, and I read two books. I read Jason Alba's book, I'm on LinkedIn, Now What?, mm-hmm. uh, which is the question all of us ask when we first get there, uh, particularly back then. Then I read David Meerman Scott's first edition of New Rules of Marketing and PR. And David has since become a friend. Uh, I, I, I actually coached him on building his profile. <laughs> um, but beside the point, but David was talking, and he didn't even mention LinkedIn in the first three editions of the book. That's he's gone to five editions. I haven't even sold out of my first selling, but uh, sold out of several of my earlier books. But um, beside the point. But David's not even talking about this. What he's talking about is the democratization of communications across these multiple platforms that are backburnering uh, traditional news outlets. Mm-hmm. And and I'm going. This is pretty damn cool. So I took what David was talking about and applied it to LinkedIn and just started busting my hump. Uh, and, and, and dividends have occurred. So the, the idea of communicating here, uh, I call it the word per idea ratio. It has to be tight mm-hmm. because when you're sending an invitation request, you have 200 characters. Right. When you're, you're filling out your summary, you have 2,000 characters. That's not a lot of verbiage. Mm-hmm. And so many people only either they cut and paste or they don't proof what they write. <laughs> and some of it just doesn't make sense. <laughs> no, that's so true. And actually, can I just I, I just want to confess something. I am I am very insecure about how I comment. <laughs> like in terms of I don't always feel like my comments are astute and as meaningful as they could be. And so it's something that over the past few years I've like really tried to get better at You've leaving better con- today. Yeah, <laughs> leaving leaving comments that are um valuable and not just, you know, oh this looks great or whatever. So um that is something that I'm continuously working on. But I think when it comes to writing online and, and social media, it is a different game. And you are working with fewer characters. And you have to kind of make an impression very quickly. And so figuring out how do you do that? How do you, I I forget who actually said this and I, I should just look it up, but I try and write for people who are dying um, largely because I, I want it to be useful and meaningful to ever, like I don't want to waste anyone's time with what I write. 
And so that's kind of the mindset that I do whenever I'm writing a blog post or a social media post. It's like, I don't want anyone to be like, well, that just wasted my time. And so figuring out how do I, how do I use that very limited time to write um, most effectively. And sometimes it's very direct and to the point. Other times it's kind of, um, it's a little bit longer, especially if it's like a resource. But, you know, I, I do try and always make it valuable. But my comments need improvement. <laughs> Well, I, I think everybody's <laughs> comments need improvement, but you, you made a really good point there. Add value. Absolutely. And don't just, you know, suck. If you want to suck up, just click the like button, you know, the mm-hmm. thumbs up. Um, people appreciate that, too, and they'll still look to see who liked their their stuff. But if you if you have value to add, that's that's where some people get into trouble because – they aren't proofing what they write, and we all know what we want to say, but unless you look at it a second time or read it out loud or have somebody else look at it, it may not say what we think it said. That is so true. The second person looking at it is incredibly valuable and, yeah, proofing, because sometimes you think you're being incredibly clear, <laughs> and you're not at all. Or witty. <laughs> <laughs> or witty, yeah. No, sarcasm does not always <laughs> no, often no. work online. I, I use a lot of puns, which... You know, people either love or hate. <laughs> or they get or don't. Yeah, they get or what? don't. <laughs> One time I tweeted out, respect <clears throat> respect your eiders. And it was like a picture of an eider, <laughs> which for those who don't know, it's a duck. But um, it's a type of sea duck. But yeah, I mean, I, I try and have fun on there. and But it's try, it's I, I think that that's a huge thing is figuring out how do you have that backup so someone can read it so that they can tell I'm gonna you. I'm going to have to follow you on Twitter if I don't already. I think should. I do, though. <laughs> I think you do too. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but but you know, tell tell me what not as a necessarily a fish and wildlife person. Tell me what you look for in people's profiles that make you want to connect, either accept their connection or reach out to connect with them. Oh, that's a good question. So, I would say, especially on Twitter and LinkedIn, it's being pretty. Uh, pretty upfront about your passion. Uh, you know, when I'm connecting with a professional or a passionate and what they're interested in working on, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to necessarily align with mine. You know, if your passion is something else, if you love to, you know, knit sweaters for trees or <laughs> do something like that's cool. I just tend to find that the people who are really passionate about things on, on these platforms tend to be who, you know, I gravitate to. But that's, you know, the other... I'm not I'm not as much into I like the blending of professional and personal. I think like if your work is also part of what you love, I think that's great. I know that's not for everybody, but there's this curiosity that I think can happen on these platforms. And if we can share it together, that's what I really I I love to learn new stuff and uh, and connect with people who just have this passion. So it almost doesn't really matter what you're passionate about. But if you're upfront about it, I can kind of try and connect with you. Um, yeah, we were uh, uh, offline talking about a mutual friend, Ann Hanley, of Marketing <laughs> Profs. Um, if you want to learn how to communicate and you you don't want to read books, eh, wrong answer, <laughs> but uh, follow somebody who writes well. Ann Handley is an extraordinary writer. She's got a great newsletter. Uh, do you remember what it's called? Something about anarchy. Oh, I'm. You know the one. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, um, if you aren't in love with, I mean, following yeah. her already. <laughs> yeah, but you know, she she works with uh, our four marketing profs, 
She's, oddly enough, the chief content officer. Yeah. Um, but find somebody whose work you like to read and follow them. You don't necessarily emulate, but you'll find that your writing gets better the more that you read, especially around the things that you do. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, give me some final thoughts on on whatever comes to mind <laughs> social media wise. I was going to say, you know, where's FWS going to go? We don't know this. Um but where where's Danielle going to go uh on where, where are you going to go online to share that you were here today? Oh, good question. Uh probably LinkedIn and Twitter mm-hmm. and maybe Facebook depending. Uh no, I mean I I think with social media it it still is about the real connection at the end of the day. Um and f- using these tools that make it easier for us to stay connected to the people we care about or the people we want to meet and I think um you know for me at least I, I, there's a confidence there that no matter what changes, I mean, if you had asked me 10 years ago, whether or not I'd be doing social media still or be a government employee, yeah, or yeah. be a government employee. I don't know that I would, I probably would have been like, Psh, no. Um, but I think that that's what's neat about these tools is there's a confidence that if you, if you're sticking to like what your personal mission is or what your goals are, like you sitting down and making your goals, that's pretty unique actually, I think. But if you're, if you're good with who you are and kind of, what you bring. It doesn't really matter what platforms exist. You can bring that to them um, and really see these technology um, opportunities as opportunities, you know? So for me and for the agency I work for, I I want us to continue to be as useful as possible and as meaningful to the people who interact with us as possible. I do worry that there are unmet expectations on social media, and that could be a whole other session, (laughs) which is there's this expectation um, that isn't exactly always clear to people when they interact with the government online or, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. and so I think that there's that. Um, but regardless of that, I want to, I want to be a, a good listener and implement wherever I can. Well, you know, just, just on, on the interaction with government, it, uh, they aren't always the most user friendly, but you know, the IRS website has a lot of useful stuff. You don't have to go to the local IRS office and stand in that interminable line, no. you know, for three days, yeah. and, you know, like you're lining up to buy a phone that I wouldn't use. Uh, <laughs> right. And I think that that's what's cool about technology is it can offer, it can make things easier that were, that used to be harder. Um, but we also can't lose that personal connection. We can't, you know, we want to keep no. fostering that. And I, I, you know, the, the cool thing for me about the social media is, you know, three or four months ago, I reach out to you. <laughs> you, you I mean, you responded in like five minutes, you know, I'm digital communications. <laughs> ah, you know, we were geeking out and, you yeah. know, we had just met. <laughs> I know I do geek out with, I do love to geek out. So <laughs> I was excited to meet somebody who was. Government. I, I really have been looking for community since I've joined, and I've I found it in some ways, and I'm still looking in others. So yeah. we'll talk about that offline. Okay. <laughs> there you go. My guest has been Danielle Brigida of the Fish and Wildlife Service. She does cool stuff because she's the national social media manager at FWS. Um, this is not my day job. I do advise companies and individuals on leveraging LinkedIn. I don't use a lot of other social platforms nearly as well, so I focus on one. If you need help in that arena, drop me a line, mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center, sponsored by General Dynamics Information Technology. 
If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. Amtower Off Center, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.